Welcome to The Ferment, everyone. My name is Harry, and in addition to our fantastic interview episodes, I'll be taking you through our amazing range of wines here at Brown Family Wine Group. I'll be focusing on history, vineyard, winemaking, and also food matching. Everything wine-related you'll need to know to wow your next customer when it's your turn to be up for a tasting. I hope you enjoy the Ferment Tasting Series. Okay, we're back with another innocent bystander tasting note, and I've got Jeff Alexander with me. How are you, Jeff? Good, Harry. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. Today we're going to look at the Pinot Gris 2019, a fantastic wine, which sometimes gets people sort of thinking around the sort of Gris Grigio, and we'll discuss that a little bit further as we go through. But I think what we might do to kick off with Jeff is uh, go through the winemaking, and if you can give us your insights into that, and then we'll get into some of the other bits and pieces as we go. Sure, Harry. Uh, We get fruit from both the King Valley and Yarra Valley for the Gris. And look, they're probably the two best regions in Victoria for Pinot Gris. Maybe some Mornington people might sort of argue <laughs> with me, but I, I just I just think the King Valley... No, no and argument. Yeah. No, no, that's right. <laughs> and I think we will discuss the sort of Gris versus Grigio style, but Gris, I'm really looking for that slightly riper fruit than the Grigio, so a bit riper, a bit fuller, a little bit more almost... not. Uh, nearly tropical in its spectrum slightly but some real sort of texture on the palate compared to maybe say how we make our King Valley Pinot Grigio so predominantly hand-picked fruits from both the, the King and the Yarra picked in the cool of the of the day to try to minimise temperature in the fruit we whether it be um, hand-picked or machine harvested it gets tipped straight into the press and I take make take a pretty generous sort of press cut so we're looking at around 600 to 650 litres per tonne for uh, the press cut of the, the fruit. The majority of the gris is tank fermented. So what I'll do is the juice gets pressed into the tank, sits in there for a day or so, racked off, and then we start start fermentation. Part of the wine is tank fermented, part of it is oak fermented. So I'm looking about 15% of this blend goes to oak, goes to oak barrel. So once the juice is pressed, I let it settle in tank for a little while and then it goes straight to barrel. Some of that barrel fermentation is wild to get a little bit of that complexity into the into the blend. Some of it's inoculated, ferments in barrel till it's dry, and then it would sit in barrel for about six months, or depending on how quickly we need the wine, so yep. between four and six months. And I might stir the lees in that barrel maybe once a month just to get some of that texture within the blend. So that's 15% of the wine. And, and the tank component, does that sit on lees for a period of time as well? It does. So that would um, pressed off, fermented in tank with a sort of a fruity aromatic yeast and then would sit in the tank on its lees for, yeah, at least a few months, maybe sort of four four months. I'll be tasting that pretty regularly to, to check that. And then the blend comes together from there. So we're looking at fresh, vibrant tank fermented gris with a bit of texture from that lees contact blended with sort of 15% of that more complex, a little bit toasty from the oak, that oak fermented fermented parcel. And you mentioned that you picked the Pinot Gris a little bit riper than you would say a Pinot Grigio. What sort of Bome and alcohol levels are you looking to chase? Say with Grigio, if we're comparing this to, say, our 1889 Pinot Grigio, that Bome would be around 12 that we would pick that. With the IB Gris, I'm looking for more sort of 13, even a little bit of 13 and a half. So we're, and we're looking for that sort of 13 to 13.5% alcohol. We're just looking for that fullness of style, richness, a little bit of oiliness, texture on the on the palate. 
a, a trip that I did to Alsace a couple of years ago, they even pick riper than that sometimes, like, you know, up at sort of 14 and 14 and a half. But the producers that go to that sort of level deliberately stopping the ferment before it gets yep. right the way through. And we don't see it very often in Australia, the Gris or Grigios that have a little bit of sweetness, but certainly out of Alsace, it's a big part of what they have. And it can be quite confusing because it's not like they have a universal sugar scale <laughs> on the back of labels. So you're often going in blind thinking... Yep. You know, last time I had an Alsatian Pinot Gris, it was bone dry. So you choose another one thinking it's going to be in that style and it's quite sweet, you know, probably up around 40 or 50 grams per litre residual sugar. So there's very, very different styles over there. But we don't see that so much in Australia. No. A little bit in New Zealand, uh, the Gris often have, you know, not that sort of level, 30 or 40, but some of them sit around that sort of 8 to 10 grams and they have super high acidity to balance that out, but they to me, tend to have a little bit more sweetness across the palate than what you find in Australia. What I'm quite mindful of, Harry, is if the alcohol gets too high, when it's matched with the phenolic element of gris, you can get a little bit of hotness on the back of the palate. So I'm just, yeah, I'm quite mindful when I'm picking the fruit and then making the wines not not to push that alcohol too high. No, definitely. So what about food matching? Uh, look, again, I sort of the oily type fish is good. Salmon, trout, perhaps that sort of thing. That's my, my favourite gris match. I had an amazing wine and food match with, it was like a, almost like a German style schnitzel <laughs> that had a, like a really nice sauerkraut and you could probably just like a, a chicken schnitter that you would call it here in Australia, but a beautiful sauerkraut on the top, a little bit of veg and a little bit of red wine jus, not too heavy and far out this rich Pinot Gris that had huge levels of complexity and a tiny bit of sweetness was incredible and it was at lunchtime on a bit of a hangover so that was <laughs> that was not a bad little uh, recovery session uh, after travelling through Alsace one Wonderful. day. In terms of the history of the variety, Pinot Gris is actually a mutation off of Pinot Noir and to go into the vineyard, Jeff, you might want to describe the colour for our listeners. It's interesting. It's it's almost like a bronze sort of colour. Can be quite dark. It can be quite alarming when you're a winemaker trying to make a white wine out of yeah. quite a dark grape variety. That's why hand picking is really my preference to Gris. As the Pinot Gris ripens, it picks up some more colour. So getting it off those skins is pretty important just to get get a white wine out of almost like a red grape variety. As a viticultural novice, the first time I walked through the vineyard and someone said, oh, have you seen these? And I was like, oh, what is it? Is that, you know, Tempranillo? Is that, and, you know, rolling through all the, I would never have guessed Grigio no. or Gris just from the colour because it is so striking. And I guess then becomes a bit of a challenge not getting that colour out of the skins. I mean, some producers like a little bit of a blush colour to their pedigree. We tend, I tend not to, try and get some of those green yellow hues rather than pink and that can be a challenge at times thank you jeff the 2019 innocent bystander pinot gris a wine that is a combination again of hand picking and machine harvesting we take a decent cut but make sure that we're not getting too much color out of the skins a combination of tank with a little bit of oak influence, around 15% to get some complexity and richness. The fruits picked a little bit later to also aid in bringing it to that gris style. Actually, Jeff, we forgot to mention 
the difference between Gris and Grigio, because I, I, I've had a few tastings with people and they say, oh, you could almost call this a Grigio style. What's your thoughts on that? The, the Grigio style is, is, is tighter, leaner. Some people call it crunchy, like the acidity could be quite crunchy. More in, we talk about the sort of the pear citrus spectrum in, in Grigio. With the Gris, it's almost more melon, nectarine, not, I don't, not quite tropical, but nearly there, uh, and that that fullness and richness. So it's it's certainly a grey style that I'm chasing, but but there is acid to balance. So I guess you, you know if some people call it thinking it's a Grigio style, that's that's understandable too. A super drinkable Pinot Indeed. Gris. <laughs> <laughs> so a super drinkable Pinot Gris, fantastic with things like ocean trout or even um, the freshwater trout that we have up in here in northeast Victoria. You know, fantastic with that sort of food. And if you're on a hangover, a chicken schnitzel and a, and a bit of sauerkraut would <laughs> goes down quite well also. So thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks very much, Harry. That was the Ferment Tasting Notes. If you've got any feedback or you think that we've missed one of our fantastic wines in our tasting notes segments, please don't hesitate to send us an email, theferment at brownfwg.com.au.